Okay, welcome everybody into the Polo Show. I'm joined today by Kevin McKelligan again. We're going to get into some preview for week five against the Carolina Panthers and just talk some Niners for the next hour. So let's get going. Once again, welcome in everybody to the Polo Show. I'm joined today by Kevin McKelligan. Kevin, thanks for joining on again today. Tell everyone where we can find you on the socials. Yeah, what's up, Chris? Um, again, my name is Kevin. Like Chris said, um, you can find me on Twitter at sf 49 Um, and then I've been uh, writing for Stadium Rant, um, the Niners Empire section. I think I maybe have like 15 articles now out close to that. So if you want to go ahead and hop on and read that, um. That would be greatly appreciated. And and the site's growing as well. So I think we did almost 15,000 views. So yep. we, we got to keep that momentum going. Yeah, we grew by like, I want to say it was like a thousand percent or something like yeah. that from that month. Yeah. So it's good. It's good to see. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk some Niners today, get into some preview. But we're also, before we talk about spe- specifically the Panthers game, we're going to talk about what happened last week. Um, you know, we're coming off a win against the LA Rams or the same old sorry ass Rams, I should say. <laughs> Uh, it was a dog walking, but it still felt like there were offensive struggles. Like it kind of felt like we stalled a little bit, at least offensively. Um, but what do you expect moving forward after that win against the Rams, whether it's this week or all the future weeks? And what do you think is going to translate pretty quickly from what you saw in week four? I think that's a great question. I mean, I think, um, we kind of found out what the 49ers identity was this week. I think this this win was a crucial week because one they needed to to find that out what their strengths and their weaknesses. Normally, NFL teams they take, you know, sometimes almost half the season to really figure out who they are. Specifically, the 49ers last year when they were three and five. So I think understanding that they need to really prioritize their defense and their running game uh, this year. Um, last year is a, a little bit different. Um, you know, Debo was used utilized in different ways. This year we don't really have that. So. I, I think just kind of looking at, you know, Kyle was really in his bag last week, I think, for a division game. He he kind of opened up his playbook. Quarterback didn't really see everything, but the plays were there. So going forward, at least we know he's getting more creative in his play calling. And I think a lot of us were calling for that. Um, so, I mean, what I think will translate to, uh, to the uh, Carolina Panthers is I think the defense will travel. I mean, four weeks, they the defense has been dominant. Um, you know, you can sort of start to see a trend of, of how they're going to play, where they're good. I mean, they're good at stopping the run um, and they're great in, in pass protection as well. Um, and, and the defensive line is fierce when it's second, third and long. So I think that's going to translate. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but to me, it seems like even though we, we kind of blew out the Rams, the, the game still kind of felt close. Yep. Just, just because the offense, I mean, it didn't just because we're up 17 to nine and, we were what I mean, just destroying them. It just still felt like anything could happen because we know the quarterback situation. So I don't know if that felt the same to you, but I felt the game was close, even though it really wasn't. Yeah, no, it was weird. Like if you actually look at it, the Rams ran way more plays than we did. And they Mm -hmm. also possessed the ball. I think like about like nine minutes longer and they only scored nine points. Um, so, yeah, I, I was sitting there in the second half, and that's the weird thing that does kind of frustrate me sometimes in this offense, really the past few years, is sometimes, you know, you look good in the first half or you look okay in the first half, but the second half sometimes it just completely stalls out. And I think mm-hmm. that's been one thing we, we saw recently. Um, so I am just sitting there. I'm looking at our defense, and 
kind of like last year in the playoffs, like I trusted our defense to dominate whoever we were facing, but I was always worried about, are we going to score enough points for it to even matter? And mm-hmm. that's definitely what I felt in, in this game. hundred um, percent. Now, when it comes to the defense, we're going to get Jimmy Ward back too. And, and we'll talk about that in, in a second, but um, I really was impressed with how the defensive line stepped up on the interior with Javon Kinlaw not playing, which is, that's an issue. Obviously mm-hmm. that, that looks like it's a chronic problem and, and that we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, but Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead also going out in the middle of the game um, and they look good still like this defensive line is really deep. I know you wrote an article about um, mm-hmm. how there's, this is the best defensive line in the NFL and talking about the depth and um, this defense is still going to be the strength of the team, no matter what it's just for that offense. Like you were talking about the creativity, but also the execution, you know, I think the creativity has been there for the most part, but they're just not executing a lot of different opportunities. Like when we see Kyle Juszczyk running down the seam wide open, got to hit that. Um, mm-hmm. When you see Debo Samuel wide open, um, down the field or Jawan Jennings. There was a play. I think it was the play that Jimmy ran for a first down. Yeah. Now he got the first down, but when you get in deeper part of the season, you're in the playoffs. That's an opportunity where you got to step up in the clean pocket and take that shot. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever, you know, a win's a win. Um, but at the end of the day, there are these things that we do look at to see well, the team can still improve. And I don't think it's a bad thing to analyze that stuff. Um, my one thing about the offense, though, really is the running game. I don't know why Shanahan hates Jordan Mason. I don't know what it is, but Jeff Wilson, like, he's okay, but he will always find a way to average four yards carry even when he has a 30-yard run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one creative play I did like that I think I would like to see used more is they used use check on that one play where they kind of used Debo as a decoy and they mm-hmm. handed it off to use check. That went for a nice game. Um, I think what they found in this game was ways to – use Debo more as a decoy to open up everyone else because that's been the element of our offense from last year that's not translating to this year. Uh, guys are just not falling for the Debo Samuel runs. They're completely collapsing on it. But if you can use that to a defense's, you know, like play to their own you know, strategy mm-hmm. of just they're going to go at Debo all the time, so go to somebody else, a lot of misdirection. I like that idea of continuing to use that creativity. Uh, now, when we're talking about moving forward, one thing I really want to keep monitoring is the offensive line. I think mm-hmm. that was actually a huge shocker because I thought going into that Rams game with no Trent Williams and Aaron Donald was going to be obviously on the other side. I thought the Rams are for sure going to put Jimmy in trouble. He didn't take a single sack. I think he took like a, a few QB hits. I can't exactly remember, but Aaron yeah. Binks has been a stud. Burford had that one bad rep, but otherwise he was okay. Uh, Mike McGlinchey didn't allow a single pressure, I don't believe. Um, and we saw Colton McKivitz and Jalen Moore, and they were actually okay on the left side. And I got really nervous because I saw Aaron Donald lined up against Jalen Moore. So um, maybe it's because it's the Rams and we just have the Rams number. I don't know what it is. So I want to see uh, these other guys that have had to step up. I want to see how that continues and travels on the road because I look at the upcoming schedule for the Niners. Like we should be four and two after mm-hmm. the next couple of games. Um but it was a great win because now with the whole division two and two, you're essentially in a 13 game regular season to try and win this division. So if you can just win the division, get yourself to the playoffs and host a playoff game, I'm chilling. I don't care how the regular season goes. I don't care how you get there, but if you can just be better than everyone else, I'm cool with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Moving on specifically from the, the Rams game. um, This has kind of been a topic going for going on for a while now, George Kittle, this dude is a ghost, at least in the box score, as a passing threat. Um, I think I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. You know, a lot of people have watched the All-22. I've watched some people's film breakdowns. He does get open. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get targeted. He doesn't, he doesn't get thrown to. Um, when it comes to the offense with George Kittle, do you think that they need to make a much higher, much bigger emphasis on specifically making him the primary read and making him the primary target. Because for me personally, I like Debo, of course, but his hands are a little suspect sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Ayuk, Jimmy just doesn't like throwing to the guy anyways, even though I've noticed he's looked his way a little more this year than last year. So with George Kittle being a playmaking tight end, I don't understand if he's usually working the middle of the field. He's a guy that you should be going after or you're going at a lot more 
Like when I'm watching Mahomes, and I'm not saying that uh, George Kittle's Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's above him, obviously. But he had six targets in that Sunday night game in the first quarter. Like that's more targets than you'll probably see for George Kittle in a game at this point. So what what yeah. do you think you would do differently with Kittle? Are you okay with just using him as a blocker? What are your thoughts on that whole topic? I think it's really interesting because, I mean, I, I've watched enough of Kansas City to kind of understand a little bit of what Andy Reid does. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that Andy Reid does, and, and this is going to sound kind of kind of weird, but he kind of hides Kelsey and, and gives him kind of like little twitch routes and kind of gives him option routes to where he can make a decision yep. if it's zone or man, like if he kind of like Cooper Cup with the Rams, that it's just kind of a thing that he and Stafford have where they understand each other, if it's man or if it's zone, you know, I'm going to throw it to a spot and he's going to get it. I, and it's interesting because Kittle and, and Garoppolo, they, this is now their sixth year together at playing games. So, you know, to me, I don't know if that connection is there either anymore or if it's really ever been there because remember when, when Kittle had that all-pro season, that was with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, right? Um, and it, it feels like Nick Mullins was even more on the same page with uh, George Kittle than Jimmy is, which is really interesting. Um, but we have seen Kittle go off. Like last year, I think he had back-to-back games with 150 yards plus when they started targeting him more. So I don't know if it's, like you said, if it's like just the Rams, if it was a matchup thing, or if it's something that, you know, is not he's not the, the first read in the offense. Because when I look at, um, you know, Casey's offense, like I said before, Andy Reid disguises a lot of stuff. And there's like a lot of slip routes and, and things where he gets Kelsey open in space. And, and why is that? Why? Why is that possible? It's because of the quarterback, right? Because the quarterback can throw it all over the field. And, and if Kittle's working in the middle of the field and the field is condensed, like we talked about before, defenses really only have to guard about 67% of the field with Garoppolo. And that's a huge hindrance to have on your offense. So if, if you're working the, the primary uh, – or if you're working the middle of the field and that's where Kittle is supposed to be, the defense is condensing that area, I mean, it's going to be really, really difficult. And a lot of the catches that Kittle does make are in tight windows anyway. So I think it, there, Kyle, is, again, has to maybe get a little more creative. It's tough because I would say – you know, Kittle doesn't typically run like a wheel route down the sideline. He doesn't run a lot of seams. It's more kind of like seven or eight in or out cut, depending on what the defense uh, the defense is doing. Um, but again, you can't really scheme that because the quarterback doesn't make the throw. So Kyle's in a really tough spot. He's really handicapped. Um, a lot of people thought Kittle was washed. I I, I didn't really notice that during the game. Um, I, yeah, I, no, I didn't either. He was getting open. So I, I think for me. It's really just comes down to the quarterback. I mean, is Kyle going to install plays where Kittle, you know, let's say during the script this week, is Kittle going to be a primary target on, you know, six of the first 10 plays? You know, is it going to be up to the script? Is it going to be, you know, what Kyle wants to do? Because I agree. I think when the 49ers are really successful is, is he's involved in the passing game. So, uh, I mean, if, if they want to line him up on the line because they're concerned about how the offensive line is going to be, Fine, we have the weapons on the outside to compensate, but man, Kittle's really important, and I think you're wasting a lot of his career if you don't get him involved in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, look at 2019 when the, when they went to the Super Bowl. Jimmy, that was his best full season. It was right. his only real full season, but it was his best full season, and Kittle was a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Kittle, like I said, should be leading the team in targets. Uh, I think that when you when you have a tight end of that caliber, someone who's that dynamic not using him and and you see how your offense is struggling if your offense is struggling you should be looking to do something differently like you should at some point be like okay we're winning games but something's wrong with this offense i mean you're ranked toward the bottom it's not even like you're ranked in the middle you're ranked toward the bottom so clearly whatever you're doing you're squeezing by for for these wins unless it's like the seahawks where your defense just completely dominates them but as you start to play more competitive teams, more competitive defenses, you got to make sure that you know exactly how you're going to be able to put up 24 points in a game. Uh, mm-hmm. They put up 17 against the Rams. I know Robbie Gold missed the field goal, but they put up 17. It was that Hufunga pick six that really sealed the game. Otherwise, a couple, a couple of plays from Cooper Cup and the two-point conversion, that game would have been tied, and then who knows what happens. So exactly. you got to make sure you're able to capitalize on the fact that your defense is maybe one of the best defenses in the last decade. And I think George Kittle's a huge part of that. And I think what's also really frustrating 
is how much you're paying George Kittle. And you see the production in the receiving game, at least. And I think that's what frustrates people is you're paying this guy money to basically be, you know, productive like a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews. And it's not mm-hmm. anywhere close. And it's not even like Kittle's not capable. It just feels like he's not really involved in the game plan. And I think that if Jimmy's struggled the last couple of years, or at least he looks, he's looked worse since 2019, maybe you go back to using Kittle as one of those primary targets before Debo became an all-pro and before you had Brandon Ayuk lined up on the other side. And I think that's mm-hmm. what also kind of annoys me about the fact that they haven't been able to figure out that uh, second tight end threat. Because I think that would have been, you know, beneficial to Kittle to utilize him more while they have another tight end on the other side of him, or, or if they're lined up on the same side, I have no idea. And I know they tried it with Jordan Reed, but obviously that didn't pan out. Dude was injured, but really the whole team was injured. I thought they were going to address tight end more. Uh, I thought they were going to address it earlier in the off season. In all honesty, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be one of their, those bigger priorities. Uh, so I'm really surprised that they rolled into this year again with the Dwelly and Werner and, and Tyler Croft, which hopefully Tyler Croft can get healthy and play because I do think he can actually make a pretty good impact. Uh, Mark yeah. says that they have to include Kittle more in the passing game that doesn't involve blocking for somebody. Um, I remember seeing this where somebody was saying that the reason Kittle doesn't get the ball is because he couldn't get both those feet in. That was, that was actually a really good throw from Jimmy. I'm not going to lie. Like I know, I know Ayuk was open, but that was a pretty good throw from Jimmy. Um, still a tough catch to make, though. So I, I remember seeing that from somebody. Um, and yes, it does not help that they're missing Trent Williams. I feel like this game could be a Kittle game. I feel like at some point you're just due for one. Like He had a good game against Cincinnati last year. And I feel mm-hmm. like at some point, like you're just due for one. Um, but it, it is true with Trent Williams gone, you'd need Kittle's blocking even more than they did before. So it's possible that we don't even see a Kittle explosion until he's back. Uh, what's up, Tanya? Well, I, I, you know, Chris, just to hit on the point, I, I think their original vision, right yeah. before the season, when they, when they, when before George Kittle got healthy, when Tyler Croft was brought in to be the second tight end, I think Kyle's. Um, vision with Trey was to utilize Croft down the field because that's what Croft is good at. We saw him in week one get behind the defense. So, again, didn't go the way that he wanted, but I think his vision was with Trey's down the field game, have Croft be able to stretch the defense and kill to work the middle of the field with the quick passing. I, I, I mean, that's if I was Kyle and I had that set up, those two tight ends, one's good vertically, the other one's good in between the numbers and gets a lot of yak, that would be my vision. It hasn't gone that way. So yeah. I think if when Tyler Croft um, – I, I don't remember what injury he had. Was it an MCL or was it a oh, – I don't remember. I'm going to have to look that up while you talk. But, but anyway, when he's healthy and he comes back, I think we'll see a lot more two tight end sets um, where Croft can, can stretch the field vertically and Kittle can work the middle of the field and maybe open up those, those lanes for Garoppolo to hit him. But but personally, I think that was Shanahan's vision um, when when he brought in Croft, had Kittle coming back, obviously with Trey at quarterback. I could be wrong. I probably am wrong. We we never know what Kyle's going to do. But uh, that that would be my vision. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, it, it is it is frustrating because we know what George Kittle's capable of, and it just feels like he doesn't mm-hmm. even have the opportunity to try and replicate what he was able to do in 2019. I really don't think he's washed. I I really do think that he's still that all pro tight end it's just his role in the offense just changed i feel like a lot yeah hey, at least remember, the pass catcher remember in 2019 they were kind of they were lining him up as a fullback and getting him uh targets that way you know in, a, in the yep. play action game a lot of the things that kyle shanahan has really kind of gone away from is the play action under center we're seeing him do a lot of rpos especially in the script and once we kind of get away from the script and everybody knows that Kyle has a script of 2025 20, plays, once we get away from that, there's no, there's no creativity. So what I would like to see is for Kyle to get back to the um, under center play action, because that's where I think Kittle can be utilized. You could line him up in the backfield um, as a fullback. You could line up with two tight ends on one side. You could line him up on the outside, get a mismatch with the linebacker. So I'd like to see um, Kyle, you utilize more of the under center play action game instead of this RPO stuff, because yeah. it's okay to work in a script, but I mean, once you get towards the middle and the later part of the game, that's the way to get them targets. You got to put them in different spots. You got to get a mismatch 
uh, you know, on a linebacker or safety or something like that. Yeah, I saw some the day. I'm trying to look for it uh, because you mentioned play action. He's barely run play action this year, just in general. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me see if I. I want to. Tr- I'm going to try to find it while we're. Oh, twelve play action passes this season. That's how many they've called. That's really. really that's not traditional. That's not traditionally the Kyle Shanahan offense. Right. Right. So I I think that's I think that's I think that's an adjustment they definitely got to make. Maybe um, I don't know if it's because the running game isn't working at times or what, but yeah. that's just weird. Maybe he's setting it up. Maybe we're all stupid and he's you know setting it up later in the year and he's going to start unleashing this you know offense that we've been running for the last five years. And no, oh, all of a sudden yep. here it is. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's just really setting us all up for like week seven against the Chiefs, and then he's going to call a bunch of different stuff and then go to the yeah. press conference and tell us how he's just trying to educate us. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. <laughs> um, Melissa said, why hate Kittle for his money when Juice is making insane money for a fullback? That's utter BS. You know, the thing is with Juszczyk, he actually is a very dynamic player. I think it's weird that they don't use him more as a playmaker sometimes in the past few years. He's a great blocker, but when... Like look look at the play that they um I forgot the exact play, but they had Yusha kind of run an out route, if I remember correctly, uh against LA. And no one was following him. And he can get he can get yards after the catch too. He's a pretty good ball carrier. Like you could use him more in the passing game too. Mm-hmm. I know some people were throwing out the idea of possibly trying to use him as like kind of like this hybrid, like tight end fullback role. He is capable of doing that. And like I said, when you're ranked toward the bottom in offense, you gotta find something and just kind of throw stuff at a wall to see what sticks because right now whatever you're doing is not sticking it's not working out you're just kind of getting by on offense uh so yeah well, I, I mean i agree that he is he is making pretty good money for a fullback but um i think that he actually could be used more uh but she also said that juice made a power play more catches with <laughs> dwelly <laughs> that's clever that's clever yeah that is true that is true i mean you know this would be a a perfect two weeks to put stuff on film to maybe make Kansas City. Uh, so we, we play Kansas City, the Rams, and the Chargers. So you could put a couple things on film this week that you'd have to have Kansas City and, and the Rams at least. I mean, they don't fear Garoppolo, but you know what I'm saying. And like to just yeah. put stuff on film to where if they line up similar, you make the Rams and the Chiefs even again second guess what they're looking at. This would be the right. perfect week because we're playing two inferior opponents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. But let's move to the defensive side of the ball. So Armstead, he might go on injured reserve. Um, honestly, though, I mean, they, they filled in for him pretty well. Um, so mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, they did pretty well in Denver without Armstead. They did well in, against L.A. without Armstead. Allowed nine points in both games. Uh, but this one is really upsetting to me. Kinlaw's knees acting up. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to say it. I think he's cooked. I, I think Kinlaw, I, I was really I was really hoping for a big year from Kinlaw and I was I've been a big believer in him and I just thought he needs to be out there. But after it's acting up again and they've had to do those cleanups with him, I don't mm-hmm. think this is ever going to go away. And I saw a quote um, earlier this year, or not this year, earlier today, um, and I think it was from Kinlaw or maybe it was from someone else. I, I, should, have, I should have to go back and find it. I think it's from Eric Branch who wrote this. But the quote was, it's going to be a long year. I did not like hearing that because that just sounds like he's going to be in and out. He's not going to be relied on, and there may just be a hole on the interior. So how much does this matter this season and also just moving forward when it comes to Armstead's injury and also Kinlaw now being out? Because now both your starting interior guys are just out of the lineup. Yeah, I think it's something that we didn't really anticipate, right? Because Kinlaw was was healthy in training camp. He's physically, he looks the most dominant and the, the biggest, the strongest he's ever been, frankly. Um, and, you know, the thing is with Armstead, really, um, really know that he's now this planner thing he has going on uh, is actually quite of a, a problem. I thought the report was that it was his other foot that was the issue, and the, the one that he was struggling with. So um, I don't, I didn't be able for his return. Um, you know, those are two guys that are phenomenal run stuffing defenders, and Armstead is great on one on one inside against hard. Um, but I'm 
fully confident that with the coaching that we have, um, Chris Kosarek is probably the best defensive assistant in the league would be, is probably my guess. Um, and he's got those guys like Ridgeway and Kevin Kins balling out. I mean, I think uh, Hassan Ridgeway had a tackle for loss in a couple years. And Kevin Givens has always been impressive when he's gotten significant playing time. So I think for me going forward, it's like, you know, if those guys are going to be out, we're definitely going to have to sign somebody for depth. Cause I, I don't, I can't really think of anybody else that we have that's coming off the bench to my knowledge. So um, if one of those guys go down, then we could, could see a real problem, but um, I'm not really concerned about the defensive line um, at all, really, to be honest with you, Chris, I will say going forward with, with Kinlaw, um, yeah. it's really funny when you, when you said cleanup, I'm just, I sold medical devices. So I I've seen a ton of procedures in the knee. When you clean up a knee, it, it's really actually taking stuff away, which creates more instability in the knee. So you say a cleanup, what they really do is they try to really slow down the degenerative disease. Yep. There's no stuff, unfortunately, and like I, I hate saying it because I, I think Javon Kinlaw has come a long way. And I, you know, I, I think if he didn't have this ailment, he'd be a phenomenal player. Um, I really feel for the guy on, on a human element because if he was one of the best players in the league, he'd be, he'd be, you know, demanding a hundred million dollar contract. So on that end of it, I feel bad for him. Um, and I mean, like you said, it's just not, it's not going to get better. Every time you go in there, you try to clean something up. It's just to try to push stuff down the road. There's no, there's no cure for it. If that's the right word to use. Um, so I think for me, he's just going to have to try to play on it as long as possible. And maybe Garner second contract. If it's here, it won't be for a lot. If it's somewhere else, I don't know if it'll be a lot either. Um, at least try to get enough money to where you can have, you know, some wealth for the rest of your life, but I don't see his career lasting longer than another two or three years, man. I think he's going to have to retire. It's something that you just can't avoid. Um, and unfortunately I feel bad for him. It's something that I don't wish on anybody. Um, but there are some players that, that do have this and do have nagging stuff where they can't go on. So I feel bad for the guy. Um, but going forward, I mean, it's going to be a position of need. I think after this year, we'll probably draft somebody high next year. Not the second yeah. round. I don't think we have a first round pick. So probably the second round, we'll probably draft a defensive tackle. Can you imagine if we did have a first round pick and it would be another defensive lineman in the first round? Oh my it God. Would be. My, I, <laughs> it would have been another one. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, that's so worrisome. I was really upset to hear that the knee's acting up again. Uh, my thing is if you're really banking on this year to try to make a push for a Super Bowl, because mm -hmm. I think they're definitely still contending. When you have a defense the way playing the way that they are right now, you're still a contender. Dominic and Sue is sitting out there. He's still waiting for a phone call if he if he still wants to play. I'm just saying that that's somebody I wouldn't mind bringing in to see if he can just add depth. I mean, can it really hurt? Could you imagine if Sue is still productive and you have Bosa and Ebukam and then Armstead when he is playing? That would just be nasty. Um, yeah. But yeah, with Kinlaw, I think it's it's you're not wrong if you want to label the guy a bust at this point for anybody out there. And it's really not as fault when it comes to his play. I think when he's played, he's actually been pretty good. It's just the best abilities availability and he's just not available. It's not his mm -hmm. fault. It's just, he's mm -hmm. got a chronic issue in his knee and it's really disappointing because, you know, people are going to look at Kinlaw the whole time as you were supposed to replace DeForest Buckner and they traded him away. And I saw him getting, you know, into the backfield uh, on Thursday night in that atrocious game that I refused to watch the second half of, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's going to be really upsetting because people tried to put him in that spot of uh, that position of you're replacing an all pro. And mm -hmm. then you're getting a guy who's barely out there, probably won't be here much longer either. So I agree. It is going to be a position of need. The good thing is, like you said, Chris Caceric gets the best out of every single person that walks into that defensive lineman room. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll see who steps up. It's going to be a good opportunity. Maybe they find that long-term answer in-house. Maybe there's someone like, Givens or Ridgeway or somebody else that just plays so well that they decide to keep him long term. Mm -hmm. It could be already here at that. Well, point. I I think you're onto something because they did draft somebody. I think at Kalia Davis. Kalia Davis. Yes. I think he was the sixth round, and and he's a, a a linebacker turned defensive tackle, um, kind of like a DJ Jones type. Yep. Um, and in the games that he played, I mean, he's 
he's very quick. He's he's almost kind of the same stature as DJ Jones, maybe a little bit taller. Uh, DJ Jones is like six foot, maybe three, three ten. I think he's about six one, maybe three ten. So um, he's somebody that is a, a cheap option um, going forward that could assume the DJ Jones role. I think he's very. I mean, he used he was playing linebacker before, so he's very quick. Um, and some of the the highlights and and some of the film that I've seen with him, he gets in the backfield very quickly. So maybe that's a, a solution long term. But I, I'll be honest with you, I see them using a, a second or third round pick next year, on, on you know on a defensive tackle. I they mean, have to. It's their trend. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to get to this comment really quick because it's not like one of our big topics, or it kind of will be when we talk about Jimmy Ward, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Gibson and Ufunga. So, Pro Football Focus is not the Bible to me. It, I just use it as a reference, as one type of metric that people use to grade players. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but Hufunga is ranked second among all safeties in Pro Football Focus, and third in the whole league is Deshaun Gibson. So, according to Pro Football Focus, they have the second and third <laughs> highest graded safeties, and one of them isn't even supposed to be their starter. Um, Mark was saying that Hufunga is making it seem like it's okay to not bring back Jimmy Ward if the price isn't right. And I've been saying that for like over a month now and people have kind of gone at me for it. Not specifically for Hufunga. Cause I honestly did not think he was going to be good. Not going to mm-hmm. lie. But my whole thing with Jimmy Ward is he's going to be 32 next year in free agency. I don't know how long you pay him for and how much you pay him, especially now with what Hufunga looks like. Um, and the fact that you can have such a great defense, I think one reason Gibson's playing so well or looks so productive is we're so good at every area of defense. There's multiple layers before you can even get to the point where the safeties matter. And when mm-hmm. Hufunga's is just being a playmaker and he's all over the place, I think Gibson honestly doesn't have to do all that much on the defense. So I don't know how much you're really going to commit to Jimmy Ward financially when you have guys like Bosa to take care of. Personally, I would rather pay Emmanuel Mosley just because he, I think he's 25 years old. You could have him and Traverius the next few years, and you'll get their best years of their career, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's actually use that as a perfect segue to talk about Jimmy Ward and also Jason Verrett, who are now back at practice. I'm not sure what their involvement's going to be in the Panthers game. I don't know if Jimmy Ward's ready to start. I don't know how they're going to use Jason Verrett exactly. Uh, but how do you expect them to be used? Obviously, we know Jimmy Ward's the starter, but maybe more with Jason Verrett, how do you expect them to start getting them integrated into this defense that's already been dominant? Um, and I guess you can kind of separate how do you expect them to be used versus how would you want them to be used because we know that the Niners tend to not do stuff that we want. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great <laughs> question. I, I think um, I think the last couple weeks, D'Amador Lenore has really solidified the nickel spot. I thought maybe if, yeah. he, strugg- if he struggled – Maybe you could slide Mosley into the slot, play Verrett outside with Traverius Ward, or vice versa. You slide in Verrett to the slot because he can play the slot. I mean, he's an all-pro player. He can play anywhere. He's a solid tackler. Um, and, you know, I don't think blitz packages are his big strength. He's more of a specialist in coverage. So I would imagine they'd probably slip Emmanuel Mosley inside. Um, but because Lenore is playing so well, I think – you kind of have to roll with the hot hand. Normally, I'd say play the better player. I think Verrett is the better player. But, man, if somebody's playing with the utmost confidence and another guy hasn't played football in over a year, then you got to stick with Norris. So I, I think, you know, he would either go into the nickel spot um, or play outside depending on what D'Amico Ryan's wanted to do. So I think Verrett's going to have to wait his turn um, until somebody goes down or somebody – or Lenore maybe has a bad game because – I don't think, regardless if Emmanuel Mosley has, you know, gives up 150 yards and 12 catches, I still think he's going out there the next week. I don't think they're going to sit him because he's playing with a lot of confidence and he's playing for a contract, so he's going to want to be out there, right? Um, Jimmy Ward's interesting. Um, back when he got injured, we heard it was a serious hamstring injury. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I would I would put in Jimmy Ward over Desha- uh, over Deshaun Gibson. I'm actually yeah. writing an article into Sean Gibson. Sean Gibson, I'll have that out tomorrow. But um, for me, I think Jimmy Ward, if he's healthy, should play. Um, but at the same time, if he's not 100% full go and that hamstring is still even a, a slightly – like if he's 99%, 98%, 95%, I don't think you have to put him out there just because of how 
Gibson and Hufunga are playing right now. I want Jimmy Ward, especially like you mentioned his age. I want him 100% healthy because also he's playing for a contract as well. So once yep. he is cleared to play, he'll be out there and he's going to probably demand the most amount, amount of money. That'll probably be his last contract. So the way I would handle it is I would say, you know, Jimmy, if you can, if you feel like you can go today and you feel 100%, then go. If not, this is not the week to do it. It's not like you're facing a down the field. Baker Mayfield. You're not. You're not facing a down the field <laughs> offense. And actually, next week with Mariota, you're not either. So, personally, even if Jimmy, okay, I take back what I said. Even if Jimmy Ward was 100 percent healthy, I would maybe wait until Kansas City, um, only because I want him fully prepared and mentally ready to go against Travis Kelsey in that offense. I think we could get by without Jimmy Ward. I personally thought we would struggle with it without him being out there. I was dead wrong on that because um, Gibson is playing unbelievable and Hufunga is playing at an all-pro level. Um, so what I think the team will do is they'll probably put him in there if he's good to go. I personally would sit him until KC um, just to be extra careful because hamstrings tend to linger. So They do. That's what I would do. Well, you know what they're probably going to do? They're probably going to use – I think he is going to play – um, I think they'll use the next couple of weeks against terrible quarterbacks as a way to just get some test runs in there and see what it's like sliding Jimmy Ward into the slot and mm-hmm. putting Gibson back there at safety with Fung and just going out there at three safeties. Sure. Um, I actually remember talking to Rohan during training camp because the nickel was one of the biggest question marks. I wasn't sure if Womack was going to get the job or Lenore. And mm-hmm. I remember asking Rohan, like, who do you think is going to win that job? And he was telling me like Jimmy Ward might win that job. And I was really shocked by that. I was like, what, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but now with Gibson, the way he's playing, I could totally see a situation where if they're not a hundred percent on Lenore, if they're not a hundred percent on Womack and who's going to start, if they're kind of back and forth between practice weeks. I could totally see them just throwing Jimmy Ward out there. Um, because like, like we said, if, if they've been so good at safety together, you know, and you're just throwing out Jimmy Ward into the nickel when you've kind of been rotating, you know, you had games where Womack started, you've had games where sure. Lenore started. Either way, you've been dominant. Uh, so why not? Just kind of give it a test run and you'll be able to kind of see what you have, see what works, see what might not work while you're going up against terrible quarterbacks. Um, respectfully, well, the other thing actually, I'll disrespectfully. say, <laughs> the yeah. one the quick thing I'll say about Sean Gibson is, is that he's dropped two interceptions this year, right? He's, yes. He has one, but he's dropped two. To me, it's hard to take out a guy when he has – what should be 30 career interceptions. He's got 28 plus the two drops. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to take that kind of guy out of the lineup because you know he's going to be around the ball. Clearly he's going to coverage if he has that many career interceptions. Now he's had a decently long career. I think he's been in the league like seven or eight years. But, I mean, no other player on the 49ers has that many career interceptions. So it'd be tough to take that guy out and put Jimmy Ward in there because just based on numbers alone, he's going to get his. And, and it's tough to – and we've talked about the defense needing to get turnovers right there. They could be sound tackling. They could be great in the scheme. But – what's up, Rohan? Can see you, man. Yeah. Um, but but I think Rohan – and we mentioned Rohan in, in training camp. Jimmy Ward, if he should be in the slot because you can't take away 28 career interceptions from the field because he's going to get at least two or three guaranteed. So and You know, another thing I just thought of too um... – didn't Tashawn Gibson play in Cleveland when Baker Mayfield was there? He 100% did, right? I'm pretty sure he was their safety. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they're intertwined for a year or two. I I think they I think they I think they did. Maybe Rohan probably knows and he can throw it in the chat. I know he's in Wisconsin right now. Freaking Badgers fan over here. But uh, if he did, I mean, he probably knows Baker's tendencies too, just being around him so much as well. Uh, so that actually could actually bode well for this game. I don't think I'm they intertwined. Sure. Did they not? They, yeah, I think Baker was 20. Well, he's the 2018 draft, and Gibson left in 2016. Oh, okay. Either way, Baker's still ass. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Rohan's just want to pop in. Yeah, what's up, Rohan? Thanks for popping in, man. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no, I think this defense is going to be um, – I don't think they can do – I don't think there's anything they can do wrong with that safety situation. Um mm-hmm. I think it's just it goes to show the amount of depth, and that's why I'm really hoping that Jimmy can just put together 
an average playoff run individually just because dude don't waste this defense this is so deep <laughs> like you can loot you can have games with no armstead with no ken law you can have games with no jimmy ward for the first four weeks and you're allowing i know they say 46 but i'm pretty sure it's technically like 37 points the defense is allowed because they count that safety and then they count the blocked field goal against seattle so really it's more like 37 mm. gotta take advantage of that um yeah, yeah, Rohan said that Gibson was in Jacksonville. That's right. But moving on to the next topic, what do the Niners need to win this game specifically in Carolina? What do you got? Um, uh, you know, I, I think probably the the two or three keys that all all are probably going to be all in the offense. I think one overall offensive execution. I think the line's got to be sound. I mean, Carolina, I don't know exactly how their um, injuries are right now, but, I mean, they have a couple of beasts up front. Um, mm -hmm. Brian Burns is obviously uh, yeah. very good coming off the, edge, uh, off the edge. And then Derek Brown, who they drafted in the first round, like seven, number seven or number nine overall a couple years ago out of Auburn, is a beast in the middle. He's a Jordan Davis-type uh, player. Um and so those guys up front, I mean, the offensive line, again, they're going to have to be very sound um, like they were against the Rams because we've seen, um, you know, one defensive lineman or two defensive linemen can just completely take over two quarters um, and that may be enough to take over the game. So the offensive line is going to have to execute. Um, so one will say the offensive overall has to execute. Garoppolo's got to execute. Um, the guys up front have to execute. Um, and then I think the run game is going to have to be huge. I mean, I took like an hour of my time and went through all of the 49ers wins and losses with Garoppolo. And the 49ers are 23-1 and one when they run the ball more than they pass it with Garoppolo. And that doesn't matter if it's 42 runs to 12 passes or if it's 26 runs to 25 passes. They're winning at a 90, 96% clip. So for me, it, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan calling runs, um, setting up the play action, and keeping that run game going. But the guys up front got to be sound. Um, they're going against a pretty good secondary. It's not, I think they have a couple guys out. But mm -hmm. J.C. Horn is a beast. Um, he's going to be one of the best corners in the league very soon. Um, so I think offensively, I mean, I don't – defensively, I know they're going to show up. Um but I think they got to stay disciplined on offense. They got to get. They can't get behind the sticks because we don't have a passing game. And our our passing game is basically bubble screens. So um, <laughs> I'm just gonna put it. If I'm just gonna be blunt, um, so probably running game. Kyle scheme scheming up the run game, being efficient in the run game. Uh, Garoppolo executing on third down, um, and just that would be my three keys. Yeah, you know for sure for me. And I remember you mentioned this on Rohan's show actually a while ago when you guys were talking about what trap games might have been on the schedule. And I remember, I'm pretty sure you picked the Carolina game. Yeah, I thought I it have, was going to be. I have kind of thought about that a little bit because we're sitting at two and two. We're coming off a great win against the Rams, but the offense has been struggling. Jimmy didn't turn the ball over in that game. That makes me worried. That means he's due. I mean, the dude turns the ball over almost every single game that he plays. Mm -hmm. um, now, that being said, they should – they should dog walk this Panthers team. Yeah. For me, the only way that this should even or even could be a competitive contest is if the Niners are just shooting themselves in the foot. Kind of like the Bears game. Mm -hmm. You can't have penalties. You got to make sure you play a disciplined, clean game. Don't have holds that call back big plays. Don't commit, you know, personal fouls on defense. Don't commit PIs down the field, just handing the Panthers yards. Baker Mayfield's yeah. gonna make mistakes all the time. Um, I remember the last time we played Baker Mayfield, it was really fun. I was there at Levi's and saw Nick Bosa plant the flag. I expect a type of performance like that. You just can't shoot yourself in the foot. Um, and then you said it perfectly. It's, it's offensive um, production. You know, you need to make sure that you're executing, uh, you're putting up points, and you got to run the ball. You got to run the ball well. Yeah. And I just saw um, Melissa put this in here. So that's perfect timing. Um, do we see Tevin Coleman, Marlon Mack, Jordan Mason, um, anything but Debo Samuel and Jeff Wilson running? I feel like, <laughs> listen, I've wanted Jordan Mason to play every single week. And I went on Peter's show and he was talking about how 
he was predicting that or hoping that Jordan Mason would get 10 carries. And I was like, please get one. And he literally only got one. I hope he plays. Um, I feel like he won't, though. I just feel like that's a Shanahan type thing to do. You know, we want to see Jordan Mason out there. I think it's going to take an injury for Kyle Shanahan to say, I'm going to throw Jordan Mason out there. And even then, I could totally see Shanahan just leaning toward someone like Tevin Coleman first because he's played in the system on multiple teams. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember Adam Schefter saying that in Denver, Tevin Coleman was supposed to be the number two back. It's just that he had the sickle cell gene, so he couldn't play that game. But we didn't see him in the uh, Rams game. So it's kind of weird how he's kind of really heavily using Jeff Wilson. I don't know if he doesn't trust them from what he's seen in practice, but it's kind of weird that he's really running Jeff Wilson on the ground in terms of the running backs that he has on the roster. He's really only using Jeff Wilson. And I agree, the Debo Samuel runs, I'm kind of over it unless you can like get some creative jet sweeps in there. Um, It's not really there right now. I think a lot of it is... I think Kyle planned on using those Debo runs with Trey Lance and knowing that he would be a threat to run the ball and defenses now know screw that with Jimmy in the Jimmy at the quarterback position. We don't Mm -hmm. even need to worry about him throwing the ball. Um, So I think that kind of derailed his plans for Debo this season, at least as a runner. Um, But honestly, I don't think we see them. I don't think we see them unless Jeff Wilson gets hurt. That's what we've kind of seen the last two weeks. He doesn't want to throw anybody else out there. And Shannon, as we all know, is a very stubborn guy. Um, but I hope we do see Jordan Mason. Uh, but that leads to the offensive line. They have to execute. And like you said, Brian Burns, he's a stud. I know Jeremy Chin, their free safety is out. He's, he, I think he went on injured reserve, actually. So mm-hmm. that should help a little bit, at least in the secondary. But Brian Burns is a monster. And I get worried every time anybody but Trent Williams is playing left tackle. Because uh, Colton McKivitz, he sprained his MCL. So mm-hmm. he's out for a while. I've Sounds like that's going to be Jalen Moore that ends up starting a left tackle. And we know what that guy's done in some snaps that he's gotten. So that makes me a little nervous um, because one reason we were able to do just good enough against LA was the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't sacked. That might change going into a second straight week. But another interesting thing I heard is that Daniel Brunskill might start at right guard. What do you think that's about? I just thought of that because I just saw that earlier today. You know, I think, um, I mean, it's interesting because we know Kyle doesn't really trust rookies. Uh, I think there was a genuine competition at that right guard spot. Um, And uh, I think Burford probably beat him out barely. Um, I know that they were trying Brunskill out at center as well in competition with Brendel. So maybe maybe Burford just got a majority of the snaps with the first team. And Kyle was like, you know, until Brunskill and then he got injured. So maybe until Brunskill comes back fully healthy, because we know Jake Brendel is actually doing a pretty good job as, as their center to surprise. I thought he would struggle. He's actually doing a very good job so far. Um, Maybe he wants to go with the veteran. Um, And despite how Burford has played, I know he missed one or two assignments. He's missed a couple of assignments this year, but so far he's been playing very well. Um, I think if Brunskill did all did get all of the right guard um, or if he split 50-50 with Burford, I think he probably would have won that competition. Um, so I'm not surprised that Brunskill is going to slide into play right guard. I do think Burford is playing well enough to keep the job because if he is playing well the rest of the year and he doesn't make a lot of big mistakes and he's playing solid football, he's your he's a mainstay for the future. I don't think Brunskill is, a fu- is part of the long-term future of this team. So it, it also kind of goes back to, well, if we want to win now, Kyle's going to play the veteran. If he wants to stick with developing his, his, his lineman, he'll probably stick with the rookie. But yeah, I'm not mad at the, I'm not mad at the change if he wants to go with Brunskill. Yeah. I mean, he's familiar with the offense. He's got experience starting. Um, mm-hmm. I was just surprised that we got this after last week. I, I thought that Burford had it completely locked up. I guess not. It probably is just because they're trying to see what Brunskill was at center since they already knew what they had in him at right guard. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you're right. Um, So, yeah, for me, it's offensive line uh, execution to help the running game and also protect Jimmy. You got to play a clean game, avoid stupid penalties. And my last one, of course, just don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. No, like J- Jimmy's going to have a few bad throws a game. He's going to have the throws that he should take that he doesn't see every single game. He's going to have a few of those. We kind of have to accept that and live with it, but just don't throw the one that 
makes what should be a blowout a close game. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, just because that team's going to make mistakes. They do have some playmakers on that team like DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, even though McCaffrey's kind of banged up the last few weeks. Um, you just don't want to put your defense in a situation where they have to be perfect all the time. Uh, but they should be fine. They should be 3-2 and two after this game. I, there are some writers at Stadium Rant. Actually, this one dude, uh, I think he's actually their editor for that, for that site. Space mm-hmm. has just been messaging me all week. Like, you guys have a guaranteed win this Sunday. Like, <laughs> the Panthers have no business competing with you guys. Um, but I want to respond to Brandon here because Brandon said, uh, Brandon said, what's up? No Mike Stanpolo. We should actually place a wager, right? I, I think I think some people should place a wager. What will happen first? Me getting a Mike Stan or Jordan Mason getting three carries in a single game? I think that'd be a really good wager. And I think I would go with the Jordan Mason carries, in all honesty. That is kind of my brand now, <laughs> just holding the microphone up. It's but, really it's really interesting because I know we we gotta go to the next topic, but this is just me. I could think of about four different ways I could use Jordan Mason in this offense. Literally. But you know, Kyle knows more than I do, obviously. So <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna educate you if you try to challenge him on that for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, so th- Jeremy Chin's that, a good player. Th- that same that same play that we use use check on the fullback carry. You could why can't you put Jordan Mason in a fullback and give him that carry? It lined up you check out wide. He hates you rookies. Know? He ha- you know what? This this would be another good wager. What happens first? Muhammad Sanu getting a target on this team or Jordan Mason getting more than two <laughs> carries? Oh, he's coming, dude. Just wait, just wait. I like week week eight after some injury. I, I hate to say it, but it's football. No, Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed's this year is Muhammad Sanu. No, I think I think I think he saw Willie Sneed and was like, mm, Muhammad Sanu over looking pretty <laughs> nice. And he just decided to get Sanu out of here early. Uh, or get Willie Sneed out of here early. But um, anyways, let's get to the very last thing here. Give me whatever bold predictions you've got for this game and also a score prediction. And everyone in the chat, you can drop yours too. I'm gonna say bold prediction. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this week. I think Kittle goes for a big game. I yep. think Kittle's gonna go for 125 plus. I think he's gonna have eight plus catches. I think. I think this is this will be the time he's. This is what his third game coming off of the groin injury. Plenty of time to be for him to be fully healthy, ready to go. So I'll say a bold prediction: eight catches, 125. Um, I'll say this is actually Jimmy's best game. I'll, I'll say that this is going to be Jimmy's best game in the entire season um, because, I, this, like we mentioned earlier, the secondary is banged up. Now all everything that we're seeing on film is on film. There's guys running wide open. I think this is the week where Jimmy actually can step up and hit those throws. As much as I don't like Jimmy, he's bound to have a big game eventually, right? So I think against an inferior opponent, this could be the one. Um, so I'll, I'll say those are – uh, two bold predictions. Also, my last bold prediction, and this will go into my score prediction. I think the defense gives up a goose egg this week, man. Really? Yeah. Um, this could be a game where they pitch a shutout, and and if Baker Mayfield continues to play like he's been playing, he's going to throw two, three interceptions. This defense isn't giving up any points. Um, so I'll say my score prediction. I'll say seventeen. I'll say seventeen to nothing. I, mean, okay. I, I don't think we're, despite having big games, I think we're going to sh- struggle to score touchdowns. I think we'll probably settle for a couple field goals. Um, but yeah, I'll say 17 to nothing. I mean, it's definitely possible because, I mean, we shut out the Seahawks offense. I mean, their only points are from Right, and I'm not saying like really a possible. special teams touchdown yeah. kick return. I'm zero. talking about the defense gives up zero. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, I was going to say I think this is a Kittle game also. I think he's really ooh, Melissa's coming in bold with 41 to 3. Hey, if it's 41 to 3, I'm gonna have a really fun time on spaces. I'll say that. But um, I think that this is a game Kittle shows up. It just feels right after all the chatter about him. It just feels like something we're gonna be talking about in spaces and calling yeah. out the people who thought he was cooked. I think it just seems fitting. Um, I'm gonna say he gets a hundred yards, catches at least one touchdown. I think the offense does put up points in this game. And the, a huge reason I think they're going to put up points because I also think that the defense is going to have three takeaways. I think mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield's going to be under so much pressure. He's going to force some bad throws. He might even fumble on a strip sack. 
I, I think it's going to be a nightmare for the Panthers on offense. I think we're mm-hmm. going to sack Baker Mayfield six times, take the ball away three times. And I think because of that, kind of like that Seahawks game, because that Seahawks game, we were able to put up points largely because we were taking the ball away and we had really mm-hmm. good field position. So it wasn't like Jimmy had to go down the entire length of the field the whole time. Right. And I think we're going to get some of that. Um, and obviously, like we said, they're missing some defenders. And I do think Kittle's going to have a big game. But here's my other one. And I don't know how Melissa's going to feel about this, but you know what? I think Jeff Wilson is going to have 100 yards rushing in this game. I think, and it may come from like two big runs mostly, but I think Jeff Wilson's going to have around like 17 carries. He's going to have like 115 yards rushing. I don't know if he's going to get touch. He probably will at least get one touchdown. I think he's going to have a big game. Um, giving Kyle Shanahan even more reasons to just never play Jordan Mason. Uh, but I, yeah, I think he's going to have a big game. And my score prediction for week five, I'm going to go see. I think, I think the Panthers will get something. I'm going to say 27 to six. I think okay. they'll have two field goals, um, but they will not give up a touchdown. And we're going to be talking about a master class on defense again. Um, I think this is going to be one of the more sound victories that they have all year. It's just, the, I remember the last time we saw Baker Mayfield, it was embarrassing for the Browns. And this dude is the problem. He couldn't figure it out with Odell. He can't figure it out with DJ Moore. Good luck against our defense, especially now with Jimmy Ward going to be out there probably. Um, I think it's going to be scary hours for him. Um, and it's the really best amazing. player in football, Nick Bosa, of course, it's, is out there. It's amazing because Carolina, they have a ton of great weapons. I mean, Robbie Anderson's a, a deep threat. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey is one of the most yep. dynamic players in football. Um, and DJ Moore is a stud. <laughs> really good. So, um, yeah. The reason why I thought it was a trap game early in the season was because I thought the defense, Carolina's defense, would be better. Yeah, I didn't think our defense would be this good, and I didn't think Mayfield would be this awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those are kind of reversed, so now it, it should be a pretty convincing victory. Yeah, when when there's chatter about you maybe losing your job to Sam Darnold, Donald, you're you're very cooked. Like you're you're well yeah. done cooked. Like that that's bad. But um, that's gonna wrap up this episode of the Polo Show. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. Shout out to all of you in the chat, um, chiming in, giving your two cents on everything we talked about today. Uh, thanks again to Kevin for joining in for the second Anytime. time. Um, go ahead, Kevin. Once again, go ahead and tell everyone where we can find you on the socials and what you've got going on. Um, Twitter's the only one that I really use. Um, so you can catch me at SF9949 on Twitter, very active in spaces, um, usually on every day or every other day. Um, and then also writing for Stadium Rant, uh, the Niner Empire section. So I'll have an article most likely coming out tomorrow night um, uh, re- uh, about Sean Gibson, um, about how he's playing this year. So should be should be pretty pretty good, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. And Tanya, I see you in here. 28 to 10 Niners defense get two picks and Bosa gets three sacks. If Bosa gets three sacks, you know what ESPN is going to be talking about? Micah Parsons. It's really crazy. I, I, think, I think it's hilarious. They talk about this dude's like the next Lawrence Taylor and Nick Bosa's numbers are better than Micah Parsons. And I just think it's really funny. But Tanya got her Nick Bosa jersey in today from last week's show. So Tanya, you got to rep that on Sunday on game day when Nick Bosa gets those three sacks. But um, thank you to everyone tuning in once again, Kevin. Thanks. Um, I'll also start doing warrior shows. I haven't figured out what day I'm going to start it yet, but we're getting pretty close and it's getting a little spicy right now. So I kind of want to start it a little sooner. Cause damn, do I have some stuff to say? Um, but thank you. Thank you to all for tuning in. Um, and yes, I will definitely be having giveaways again. I don't know what subscriber market's going to be, but it will be a Hufunga Jersey after that pick six. There is really no other choice. It will 100% be a Hufunga jersey. And I'm just going to rig it so that Roscoe can't win it. Um, That's the (laughs) only thing I will do. But thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we'll see you next week. See you.
Stafford go deep and kicked off. We're able to do week three in that matchup. Toss to Jones and big middle linebacker Fred Warner made the stop.